Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice J, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, The Purloined Letter by Edgar Allan Poe. Ed Paris, just after dark, one gusty evening in the autumn. I was enjoying the twofold luxury of meditation and a meerschaum and company with my friend C. Auguste Dupin in his little back library, or book closet, Autrasom, number 33, Rue Dunt, Faberg St. Germain. For one hour at least we had maintained a profound silence while each to any casual observer might have seen intently and exclusively occupied with the curling eddies of smoke that oppressed the atmosphere of the chamber. For myself, however, I was mentally discussing certain topics which had formed matter for conversation between us at an earlier period of the evening. I mean the affair of the Rue Morgue and the mystery attending the murder of Marie Roth. I looked upon it, therefore, as something of a coincidence. When the door of our apartment was thrown open and admitted our old acquaintance, Monsieur G., the prefect of the Parisian police, we gave him a hearty welcome, for there was nearly half as much of the entertaining as of the contemptible about the man, and we had not seen him for several years. We had been sitting in the dark, and Dupin now arose for the purpose of lighting a lamp, but sat down again without doing so, upon G's saying that he had called to consult us, or rather to ask the opinion of my friend, about some official business which had occasioned a great deal of trouble. If it is any point requiring reflection, observed Dupin, as he forbore to enkindle the wick, we shall examine it to better purpose in the dark. It is another one of your odd notions, said the prefect, who had the fashion of calling everything odd that was beyond his comprehension, and thus lived amid an absolute legion of oddities. Very true, said Dupin, as he supplied his visitor with a pipe, and rolled toward him a comfortable chair. And what is the difficulty now, I asked. Nothing more in the assassination way, I hope? Oh, no, nothing of that nature. The fact is, the business is very simple indeed, and I make no doubt that we can manage it sufficiently well ourselves. But then I thought Dupin would like to hear the details of it, because it is so excessively odd. Simple and odd, said Dupin. Why, yes, and not exactly that either. The fact is, we have all been a good deal puzzled because the affair is so simple and yet baffles us altogether. Perhaps it is the very simplicity of the thing which puts you at fault, said my friend. What nonsense you do talk, replied the prefect, laughing harder. Perhaps the mystery is a little too plain, said Dupin. Oh, good heavens! Who ever heard of such an idea? A little too self-evident? 
roared our visitor, profoundly amused. Oh, Dupin, you will be the death of me yet. And what, after all? Is the matter on hand, I asked. Why, I will tell you, replied the prefect, as he gave a long, steady, and contemplative puff, and settled himself in his chair. I will tell you in a few words, but before I begin, let me caution you that this is an affair demanding the greatest secrecy, and that I should most probably lose the position I now hold, were it known that I confided it to anyone. Proceed, said I. Or not, said Dupin. Well, then, I have received personal information from a very high quarter that a certain document of the last importance has been purloined from the royal apartments. The individual who purloined it is known that, beyond a doubt, he was seen to take it. It is known also that it still remains in his possession. How is this known, asked Dupin? It is clearly inferred, replied the prefect, from the nature of the document and from the non-appearance of certain results which would at once arise from its passing out of the robber's possession. That is to say, from his employing it as he must design in the end to employ it. Be a little more explicit, I said. Well, I may venture so far as to say that the paper gives its holder a certain power in a certain quarter, where such power is immensely valuable. The prefect was fond of the cant of diplomacy. Still, I do not quite understand, said Dupin. No? Well, the disclosure of the document to a third person, who shall be nameless, would bring in question the honor of a personage of most exalted station. And this fact gives the holder of the document an ascendancy over the illustrious personage, whose honor and peace are so jeopardized. But this ascendancy, I interpreted, would depend upon the robber's knowledge of the loser's knowledge of the robber. Who would dare? The thief, said G, is the minister who dares all things, those unbecoming as well as those becoming a man. The method of the theft was not less ingenious than bold. The document in question, a letter, to be frank, had been received by the personage robbed while alone in the royal boudoir. During its perusal, she was suddenly interrupted by the entrance of the other exalted personage, from whom especially it was her wish to conceal it. After a hurried and vain endeavor to thrust it in a drawer, she was forced to place it, open it was, upon her table. The address, however, was uppermost, and the contents thus unexposed. The letter escaped notice. At this juncture enters the minister. His lynx eye immediately perceives the paper, recognizes the handwriting of the address, observes the confusion of the personage addressed, and fathoms her secret. After some business transactions hurried through in his ordinary manner, he produces a letter somewhat similar to the one in question, opens it, pretends to read it, and then places it in close juxtaposition to the other. Again he converses for some fifteen minutes upon the public affairs. At length, in taking leave, he takes also from the table the letter to which he has no claim. 
Its rightful owner saw, but of course, dared not call attention to the act. In the presence of the third person who stood at her elbow, the minister decamped, leaving his own letter of no importance upon the table. Here, then, said Dupin to me, you have precisely what you demand to make the ascendancy complete, the robber's knowledge of the loser's knowledge of the robber. Yes, replied the prefect, and the power thus attained has, for some months past, been wielded, for political purposes, to a very dangerous extent. The personage robbed is more thoroughly convinced every day of the necessity of reclaiming her letter. But this, of course, cannot be done openly. In fine, driven to despair, she has committed the matter to me. Then whom, said Dupin, amid a perfect whirlwind of smoke, no more sagacious agent could, I suppose, be desired or even imagined. You flatter me, replied the prefect, but it is possible that some such opinion may have been entertained. It is clear, said I, as you observe, that the letter is still in the possession of the minister. Since it is this possession, and not any employment of the letter which bestows the power. With the employment, the power departs. True, said G. And upon this conviction I proceeded. My first care was to make a thorough search of the minister's hotel, and here my chief embarrassment lay in the necessity of searching without his knowledge. Beyond all things, I have been warned of the danger which would result from giving him reason to suspect our design. But, said I, you are quite au fait in these investigations. The Parisian police have done this thing often before. Oh, yes, and for this reason I did not despair. The habits of the minister gave me, too, a great advantage. He's frequently absent from home all night. His servants are no means numerous. They sleep at a distance from their master's apartment, and, being chiefly Neapolitans, are readily made drunk. I have keys, as you know, with which I can open any chamber or cabinet in Paris. For three months a night has not passed, during the greater part of which I have not been engaged personally in ransacking his hotel. My honor is interested, and to mention a great secret, the reward is enormous. So I did not abandon the search until I had become fully satisfied that the thief is a more astute man than myself. I fancy that I have investigated every nook and corner of the premises in which it is possible that the paper can be concealed. But is it not possible, I suggested, that although the letter may be in possession of the minister, as it unquestionably is, he may have concealed it elsewhere than upon his own premises? This is barely possible, said Dupin. The present peculiar condition of affairs at court, and especially of those intrigues in which he is known to be involved, would render the instant availability of the document, its susceptibility of being produced at a moment's notice, a point of nearly equal importance with its possession. Its susceptibility of being produced, said I. That is to say, of being destroyed, said Dupin. True, I observed. The paper is clearly then upon the premises. 
As for its being upon the person of the minister, we may consider that as out of the question. Entirely, said the prefect. He has been twice waylaid as if by footpads, and his person rigidly searched for my own inspection. You might have spared yourself this trouble, said Dupin. He, I presume, is not altogether a fool, and, if not, must have anticipated these waylayings as a matter of course. Not altogether a fool, said G. But then he is a poet, which I take to be only one removed from a fool. True, said Dupin, after a long and thoughtful whiff from his meerschaum, although I have been guilty of certain doggerel myself. Suppose you detail, said I, the particulars of your search. Why, the fact is, we took our time and we searched everywhere. I have had long experience in these affairs. I took the entire building, room by room, devoting the nights of a whole week to each. We examined first the furniture of each apartment. We opened every possible drawer, and I presume you know that, to a properly trained police agent, such a thing as a secret drawer is impossible. Any man is adult who permits a secret drawer to escape him in a search of this kind. The thing is so plain. There is a certain amount of bulk, of space, to be accounted for in every cabinet. Then we have accurate rules. The fiftieth part of a line could not escape us. After the cabinets we took the chairs. The cushions we probed with the fine ling needles you have seen me employ. From the tables we removed the tops. Why so? Sometimes the top of a table or other similarly arranged piece of furniture is removed by the person wishing to conceal an article. Then the leg is excavated, the article deposited within the cavity, and the top replaced. The bottoms and tops of bedposts are employed in the same way. But could not the cavity be detected by sounding, I asked. By no means, if, when the article is deposited, a sufficient wadding of cotton be placed around it. Besides, in our case, we were obliged to proceed without noise. But you could not have removed, you, you could not have taken to pieces all articles of furniture in which it would have been possible to make a deposit in the manner you mention. A letter may be compressed into a thin spiral roll, not differing much in shape or bulk from a large knitting needle, and in this form it might be inserted into the rung of a chair, for example. You did not take to pieces all the chairs? Certainly not, but we did better. We examined the rungs of every chair in the hotel, and indeed, the jointings of every description of furniture by the aid of a most powerful microscope. Had there been any traces of recent disturbance, we should not have failed to detect it instantly. A single grain of gimlet dust, for example, would have been as obvious as an apple. Any disorder in the gluing, any unusual gap in the joints, would have sufficed to ensure detection. I presume you look to the mirrors, between the boards and the plates, and you probe the beds and the bedclothes, as well as the curtains and carpets. That, of course, 
And when we had absolutely completed every particle of the furniture in this way, then we examined the house itself. We divided its entire surface into compartments, which we numbered so that none might be missed. Then we scrutinized each individual square inch throughout the premises, including the two houses immediately adjoining, with the microscope as before. The two houses adjoining, I exclaimed. You must have had a great deal of trouble. We had, but the reward offered is prodigious. You included the grounds about the houses. All the grounds are paved with brick. They give us comparatively little trouble. We examined the moss between the bricks and found it undisturbed. You looked among his papers, of course, and into the books of the library? Certainly, we opened every package and parcel. We not only opened every book, but we turned over every leaf in each volume, not contenting ourselves with a mere shake, according to the fashion of some of our police officers. We also measured the thickness of every book cover, with the most accurate admeasurement, and applied to each the most jealous scrutiny of the microscope. Had any of the bindings been recently meddled with, it would have been utterly impossible that the fact should have escaped observation. Some five or six volumes just from the hands of the binder, we carefully probed longitudinally with the needles. You explored the floors beneath the carpets. Beyond doubt, we removed every carpet and examined the boards with the microscope. And the paper on the walls? Yes. You looked into the cellars. We did. Then, I said, you have been making a miscalculation, and the letter is not upon the premises as you suppose. I fear you are right there, said the prefect. And now, Dupin, what would you advise me to do? To make a thorough research of the premises. That is absolutely needless, replied G. I am not more sure that I breathe that I am that the letter is not at the hotel. I have no better advice to give you, said Dupin. You have, of course, an accurate description of the letter. Oh, yes. And here the prefect, producing a memorandum book, proceeded to read aloud a minute account of the internal and especially of the external appearance of the missing document. Soon after finishing the perusal of this description, he took his departure, more entirely depressed in spirits than I have ever known a good gentleman before. In about a month afterward, he paid another visit, and found us occupied very nearly as before. He took a pipe and a chair and entered into some ordinary conversation. At length, I said, "'Well, what of the purloined letter?' I presume you have at last made up your mind that there is no such thing as overreaching the minister. Confound him, say I. Yes, I made the re-examination, however, as Dupin suggested, but it was all labor lost as I knew it would be. How much was the reward offered, did you say? asked Dupin. Why, a very great deal, a very liberal reward. I don't like to say how much precisely, but one thing I will say, 
that I wouldn't mind giving my individual check for 50,000 francs to anyone who could obtain me that letter. The fact is, it is becoming of more and more importance every day, and the reward has lately been doubled. If it were trebled, however, I could do no more than I have done. Why, yes, said Dupin, drawlingly, between the whiffs of his meerschaum. I really think, gee, you have not exerted yourself to the utmost in the matter. You might do a little more, I think, eh? How? In what way? Why, puff puff, you might, puff puff, employ counsel in the matter, puff puff puff. Do you remember the story they tell of Abernathy? No, hang Abernathy. To be sure, hang him and welcome. But once upon a time, a certain rich miser conceived the design of sponging upon this Abernathy for a medical opinion. Getting up for this purpose an ordinary conversation in a private company, he insinuated his case to the physician as that of an imaginary individual. We will suppose, said the miser, that his symptoms are such and such. Now, doctor, what would you have directed him to take? Take, said Abernethy. Why, take advice, to be sure. But, said the prefect, a little discomposed, I am perfectly willing to take advice and to pay for it. I would really give 50,000 francs to anyone who would aid me in the matter. In that case, replied Dupin, opening a drawer and producing a checkbook, you may as well fill me up a check for the amount mentioned. When you have signed it, I will hand you the letter. I was astonished. The prefect appeared absolutely thunderstricken. For some moments he remained speechless and motionless, looking incredulously at my friend with open mouth and eyes that seemed startling from their sockets. Then, apparently recovering himself in some measure, he seized a pen and, after several pauses and vacant stares, finally filled up and signed a check for 50,000 francs and handed it across the table to Dupin. We'll return with our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we are always on the lookout for great stories like this one to feature on the show. If you know of any, you can email me, bvj at bigvoicej.com. Certain stories have been turned into videos for our YouTube channel. You can go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>